So, how have you found um, gigging with every, with the outbreak that's happened so far? Uh, so far, I have noticed that uh, some gigs are cancelling. Yeah. So, healing comedy. Yeah. We both do. Yeah. Over my gig, uh, that's cancelled. Couple, I guess it's may cancel for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Uh, so far, it's I've not had many gigs cancel on me. I'm doing a show. In Glasgow, in fact, I'm doing two shows in Glasgow next week. I'm doing the Glee Club in, in uh, on Friday the 20th, and I'm doing my own show at, at the Glasgow International Comedy Festival. Okay. And both those shows said they're not cancelling, but Good. things might change between now and yeah. then. So who knows? Is that the show that you did in Edinburgh? The uh, no, what it is is so this is uh, it's kind of my third show, but it's not entirely a new show. It's an amalgamation of my first two shows because I had quite a lot of material that was theme that could be taken out and be themed about mm. terror about terrorism yeah and uh lots of comedy subjects <laughs> yeah well, exactly <laughs> so uh, i thought well i'll take all those bits out because they were the strongest bits of the shows i think i did and i'm gonna try and put those together into another show and then that'll keep me going for a year or two whilst i write mm. another, another show after that so so yeah so it's not entirely the show it's, it's it probably has about 15 20 minutes of the show i did in edinburgh mm. last year about half an hour of the show I did two years before that. Okay. How do you think audiences re- have reacted to doing a show, a comedy show about terrorism? That's, that's I, I think it's amazing that you can do that. Um, well, I think when they first of all, the first two shows I did weren't particularly advertised about mm. terrorism, so I'm not sure people knew what to expect. <laughs> that was, but actually, I think it was a bad thing, and I decided at the end of uh, Edinburgh in last year, 2019 that I had such problems getting people to come into my show, but when they did come, they enjoyed the show. So I thought what I need to do is to have a show that's more easy to sell. And that's why I came up with a strongly themed show that's about terrorism. It's only had one, it's had two run out so far, one in uh, in Leicester, where it sold well, um, you know, in comparison to my previous show, which had sold six seats, this sold about 30. Um, and it was at the much after hub in Rochester, where it didn't sell so well, but I think probably that was partly Think on reflection now and reflection of the promoter that was partly because of coronavirus thing and so on. Yeah. But that was a show that went really well as well. So certainly people are reacting well to the show when they see it, and I'm thinking and hoping that be more, more people are going to come to it if they know the show is about terrorism. Yeah. So, so I think it's actually a good a good thing. So. Uh, question: When did you start doing stand up? Oh, I don't know what made you want to start doing stand up. Uh, right. Well, question. I. Um, so I, uh, my day job is human resources. I decided about 10 years ago, no, sorry, I started earlier than that. About 20 years ago, I started writing. I started writing fiction. I started writing mostly comedy fiction. And as part of that process, I decided I needed to get, I wanted a degree in English and creative writing. So about 10 years ago, in 2010, I went to Royal Holloway with a creative writing degree, full-time, still work part-time in my current job. Um, but some doing that. As part of that, I intended to join, and I always intended to join something like the equivalent of the Cambridge Footlights. So my original intention was to write and perform sketches. But the only option in the university I was at, or Holloway, was the Comedy Society. And at that point in time, it decided to do stand up. So I kind of drifted into stand up through that. And I didn't do, I had an initial go at stand up back when I first started in 2010. But I lost about two gigs, and then because I injured myself, I had to oh. stop doing lots of extracurricular stuff and focus on my studies. I do something that was a bit sedentary. So what I did instead 
was I became the world's oldest uh, uh, music editor. <laughs> so I did that for a couple of years. I was a music editor of the student newspaper, but then in the third year I decided, well, I wanted to get back into stand-up, so I rejoined the Comedy Society, and that's kind of what got me into stand-up. It, it, I was lucky in that my first couple of gigs went really well, and in fact the first six months generally went pretty well. Uh, I went to Edinburgh fairly quickly after I joined, so I, I um, went to Edinburgh in 2013 for the first time with the Royal Holloway Comedy Society, and it kind of got me hooked uh, and saw me through about a year's worth of time on my ass uh, whilst, whilst I tried to re- rethink my material and try to find my voice. Mm. I think I did eventually do that with uh, you know, political material, material about mm. terrorism uh, and, and so on. So that's what got me into it. Uh, writing was my first call. It took over from the writing because I don't do any writing now other than that <laughs> stand up. Um, uh, and uh, yeah, I've just really enjoyed it. So, uh, how, what, what actually went into being a music editor for, uh, for the magazine? Because I used to do some stuff for my student publication when I was when I was at uni as well. But obviously, that was ju- I was just a I was a content person, just a person submitting content. What actually went into doing the edit, doing the actual editing process? Uh, the editing process. Uh, it was mostly just commissioning, commissioning reviews and articles, writing my own, um, editing the, the articles I got, sometimes quite a lot, mm. um, trying to encourage people to s- submit different types of material because I think what they generally got was, was reviews of albums. Yeah. Which I kind of mostly got, and I kind of wanted a bit more than that. What, why did you, what did you want as a bit? Well, more? it was, uh, well, Royal Holloway University is quite a good music university. It's not a cool music university. Not a cool music university. You have to go to to uh, Goldsmiths. Yeah. But it is one that's good for musical theatre and stuff like that. In fact, I, I believe there was one year when, in fact, the backing singers for all the versions of the X Factor final song came from Royal Holloway. Really. So it has that tradition of uh, classical music, uh, music theatre opera that kind of thing it's not particularly cool in terms of uh, uh, pop music and i think i think the only person i can remember uh uh katie tunstall was there not when i was there but earlier um a couple of others i forget who so it was kind of trying to get some of that stuff into the music newspaper but also continuing to do the stuff they were doing before uh, and I'd, I'd actually spent a year writing for the newspaper, as you did, as yeah. a contributor, and in the second year, because I was the only person who was contributing regularly, <laughs> and the music editor got promoted to editor, I got promoted to music editor. Okay. So that's kind of what all those I mean, the other side of it is there's a fair bit of uh, editing and putting stuff on the website, which is like the first time I've ever done any website content uh, of any sort. And I'm guessing the editing process actually helped you when it comes to, well potentially I'm guessing it helps you when it comes to writing out a show. Uh, yeah the editing I mean the editing process I've done a lot of writing with one sort or another. Yes. Even if it's factual writing, I've always been pretty good at editing stuff. So editing factual stuff for work, reports for work, then fiction when I was doing that, then the then the uh, uh, the music editor stuff, then the stand up. I think one of the best tips I got um, from it was a guy who was on who was doing postgrad in uh, screenwriting, I think it was. Mm. Uh, his name's Stoff Dimitri Stoff Stoff. He calls himself. He does some stand up on his own show. Uh, one of the things he said: put all your joke, highlight all your jokes in yellow, mm. everything else non-highlighted, and then get rid of as much of the non-highlighted stuff as you can get. And that's kind of something I've always stuck with. I'm gonna now take that idea because I think that's something that I definitely need to start doing. Yeah. 
uh, yeah, it's always been a good for me. So I always look at, I always visually look at my page and I count the amount of yellow bits I've got. So I know how much, how quickly I talk, uh, so how much I, I write. So for me, it's roughly about 120 words a minute when I'm mm. doing stand up. So if I don't get these four jokes in that 120 minutes, I start rewriting. That's really accurately timed. Yeah. That's... Uh, not, I mean, it's not entirely, there are sometimes when there's bits of exposition you just have to do, but then mm. if you're going to do that, you have to follow that with joke, 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 mm. to make up for that. That's sort of people having to listen to something that isn't funny for so long. Mm. And so, did you do much performing in, in your childhood? Uh, not loads, I did a bit, and I, 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 there was one point in my childhood when I wanted to be an actor, and I did do... Did a meal. <laughs> yeah, I guess we, I guess we did. Um, uh, well, not everyone, but I did do some acting, particularly in primary school, and in fact, in my last year of primary school, I starred in the school play, so that was yeah. probably my high point. What was it? Uh, it, <laughs> it, was a, it was a thing called Inca. And it was a really weird piece of theatre for, uh, for primary <laughs> school kids to do. It was a very conceptual piece. So it was about the history of the Incas. And it, so it was all, it wasn't just one play, but it was all little bits about the history of the Incas, which ends up with uh, the Incas being conquered by conquistadors. And I actually played the Inca king in, mm-hmm. in that. And I die on, so at, 12, at the age of 12, I get executed on stage. My funeral is on stage. <laughs> Yeah, it was kind of an interesting piece of work to do. Lovely, classic child-friendly <laughs> material. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, um, yeah, I did that. And I think the only other thing I did was I used to be quite an avid scout. I'm actually a rubbish scout. But the one thing I did do well at was that had thing called gang shows. Yeah. And I used to do quite a lot of sketches in that. And in fact, we wrote a couple of sketches uh, as a so probably my first writing experience of that sort. Mm. Uh, and even as a young adult, I did some of that. So that was probably, but after that, I stopped doing any sort of performance uh, until I discovered karaoke shortly before I discovered comedy, so I did that. Uh, yeah. So do you still write sketches or is that something? No, I, uh, no, I think I really just write stand-up yeah. occasionally articles, but I've not written, I don't think I've, I think I may have had one go at writing a sketch since then, but I never really did anything with it, I didn't really like it, and I think I found it much easier, I think I found stand-up easier because mm. it took the bits of the writing I particularly liked, and the bits of the writing I liked was being funny, mm. and it does that without having, without any of the other distractions, there's no plot, yeah. there's no characterization, there's no nothing, it's just writing, set-up situation, find mm. something funny, and it's just a case of, 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 of um, finding the right thing to talk about. Yeah, so that, that makes me laugh. Mm. And hopefully everyone else laughs. Oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's the idea. <laughs> yeah. you have to, I guess you start off with making yourself laugh, you test it out, and then hopefully other people laugh, and they don't, you just stop doing it. I just think that's the beauty, I think that's the weirdest and most beautiful thing about what we do. Like, it, you take an idea, and you can rehearse it as many times as you follow a mirror, and that's great, but if for, for uh, in order for it to actually work, the only way you can rehearse it is in front of an actual audience. Yeah, and it's the only, I think it's the only performance art where that's the case. So getting into stand, so I think the barriers, to, uh, the barriers to entry for stand-up are generally very mm. low. Yeah. I think it is one of the easiest performance arts to get into. It's one of the easiest performance arts to get better at, mm. but the big thing about 
stand up. It is the only performance art where you essentially have to do your practicing in front of people. So unlike any other type of performance art, you have to be incredibly thick skinned to get through it. And that's what puts most people off. Mm. So I actually think it's easier to get. Is if, you, if you're like most things, you can be innately funny or you can be innately not funny. If you're innately not funny, you'll never be any good as a stand up. And if you're innately funny, then you will definitely make a stand up really quickly. But for most of us in between, we have we can be funny, but we're not always all the time. And it's mm. a case of luck writing, just getting better at it. But with stand up, you have to do it in front of people, mm. and that's the most difficult thing about it when you start out. Mm. Um, I think as you go on, the most difficult thing is writing this stuff. So yeah, I, I'm kind of used to performing now. I don't. I know a lot of people get nervous when they go on stage. I generally I might get a little bit nervous, but I'm not massively nervous uh, before I go on. I still tend to get the old butterflies in the stomach, but for me. That's because I give a shit about what I'm about to do, and I want to, and I want to do well. And I think for me, the nerves, the little bit of nerves I do get, are good, because if I wasn't that, the gigs that yeah. I'm not nervous for, I generally die my, I've died my ass at. But the ones where I have a little bit of nervous energy, and I go on with that nervous energy. And it usually works out better for me. Right? I think that's probably true. I think nervous energy is good. I'm not sure. I'm not. I don't get as anxious. I don't get as anxious as I do if I know the material well. So actually, perversely, when I'm doing professional gigs, yeah. where I'm not particularly doing any new stuff, I don't know the material backwards. I'm less nervous than when I do open mic gigs. Open mic gigs, I'm mostly nervous because I'm nervous I'm going to forget the material, yeah. um, and and uh, make a fool of myself on stage that way. And I don't like really going on with notes mm. or having to refer back to notes. So I try to learn it beforehand. But it does make me more nervous. Mm. I'm actually more nervous. Sir hitting comedy for yeah. than I am when I'm doing uh, a like glee club or something. So, yeah. yeah. Well, I suppose because you're trying things out at night, like, I know I said it's a lot, but like healing, like healing comedy. Yeah. A lot of the things that we're saying, we are trying out for the first time. And if that gets a titter or something at that night, you then can know you can go into somewhere, you know, you can go somewhere else, like potentially the glee club or wherever, and it may get a bigger laugh because there yeah. may be more audience there. But I think somebody once said, if you can make bunch of I mean one of the things I like about what they call non-ringer gigs you know, yeah. where you just go over mic and the whole room is just half full of comedians and nobody yeah. else if you can make that audience laugh you've probably got something that will make other people laugh so it's yeah. always worth, worth bearing that in mind yeah that's true that's true but I, also, I also kind of think that comedians will laugh at some things that are like normal audience members may not find may not find funny uh, that is true, but I'd say it's more often the other way around. Yeah. I think comedians will sometimes laugh at something that's particularly funny to comedians yeah. because of the trade, but more often than not, if it, provided you're not doing something that's about comedy, but yeah. something else, if they're laughing, chances are the audience will laugh as well. Yeah. So, uh, so who are your influences? Um, uh, well, the biggest influence is probably Stuart Lee. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's probably most obvious, like when I've been when I've been critiqued before, people have pointed to the fact that I, I, um, I have something with Stuart Lee, and it's debt I acknowledge in particularly one of my routines where yeah. I both uh, obviously imitate Stuart Lee whilst also trying to um, criticise what he's doing. Yeah. There are aspects of it I don't like, but on the whole, Stuart Lee is probably my biggest influence. More recently, uh, James A. Castor. I'm not sure he's an influence. He's a comedian I like a lot. I don't yeah. know whether I, I don't know whether I can do what he does, but certainly is what I'm intrigued about. Uh, particularly with the shows that are on Netflix at the moment, mm. not so much his latest show, which is slightly more uh, based on real life experiences. But the previous shows were very much a, a 
artificial construct mm. where the whole point of the show is how clever you are about joke, callbacks, structure. Mm. So that intrigues me about James Lancaster. Um, who else? I like David Baddiel um, because of the truth telling in his comedy and the way he delivers comedy. I saw David Baddiel two days ago. Back Did in you? Yeah, he's Where was he? On the Beck Theatre in Hayes. Oh, lovely. He did his tr- new show, Trolls and Dolls, and so his previous show as well. And I think I just like the way he delivers mm. this stuff and uh, how it is generally factually based on some kind of fact. Uh, I like that. Um, I like. Who else do I like? Um, I like Bridget Christie's stand up. Don't like radio work, but I like Bridget Christie's stand up. <laughs> um, much the same reasons as I like, I guess, much the same reason I like Stuart Lee. I think I like the way she deals with political issues. Yeah. Um, that's probably all I think. There's a number of comedians who are not famous who I, yeah. I, I admire. Uh, of Paramatch, I gig recently with Tom Little, and I've gigged with Tom Little a few nice. times. He was in my venue at uh, uh, Edinburgh. He's fantastic. He's, I think he's one of the best of up and coming comedians I've mm. seen. Um, Sindhu V. Yeah. Uh, Sindhu V. Uh, again, I think I'm amazed at the way, at the speed at which she can turn out new material. That works all the time. Um, and I, again, I like her particular style of comedy. Mm. That will probably be about it. So ah, there's probably more, I think, but that's all that comes to the top of my head. Yeah. Um, that's a really, that's a really, decent, that's a really good list. I mean, I've got, to, I've got to admit that I was very late to um, get on board with, a, get on board with Acaster because up until like a couple of years ago, I was just like, I, I get why people find this funny, but this is not my cup of tea. But then a couple, I don't know what it was. I think I must have seen him on a panel show or something like that. And or or a trailer for one of it for one of his Netflix specials and, I, and he had something in there and I was like oh okay I get this now I get it I'm kind of on board of it now yeah I think for me it was actually I've only been like James Aiken's last couple of years it most of us have not seen any of his stuff I'd seen him on panel shows I've never seen any of his uh, stand up and it was only when the Netflix specials were mm. released I watched the first one I thought wow this is really good and very clever and I watched yeah. the others and I was blown away by the Netflix specials mm. um, yeah I think on the basis of that I think well I'm probably a fan <laughs> went to see his most recent show the 99 Cold Lasagna or whatever it is mm. what it was called and thought yeah this is brilliant so um, and I've, I do like his panel show appearances mm. I like the one he does with Josh Whittacombe yeah uh, what's I forget what it's called. Um, and, it's uh, not Taskmaster, is it? Or is not it? Taskmaster. Um, it's on Dave as well. It's yeah. On, um, yeah, why not? I've forgotten the name. Yeah, but yeah. It, but that's a particularly good show as well. Um, so how do you find watching Netflix specials now because you go to a lot of com- live comedy? Um, I don't like a lot of what I see. It's yeah. not, there's nothing wrong with it. It just yeah. doesn't really speak to me. So I'd say, I mean, I have to be honest, when I was doing music, I think the same is true with music. I don't like most of the music I listen to. Yeah. When I do like something, I really love it. So, um, you know, I, I kind of, yeah, most of the things I see, I think, yeah, I was all right. Mm. You know, three out of five or something. And that includes people like Bill Burr and yeah. um, uh, a lot of other American comedians. Mm. And even Bill Hicks. I, yeah. I admire Bill Hicks for what he achieved at the time, but the comedy itself, I think, is dated somewhat. That's it. So. Hello. Uh, sorry, sorry about that. We were really, we were interrupted. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, so I was saying about watching Netflix specials. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't like most of the Netflix mm. specials I'm seeing. 
And I think there's a general trend. I mean, there's a lot of, this is true for a lot of things I've seen recently that I've not particularly wanted to go see in the first place, but I thought, oh yeah, this has had good reviews, I'll go see it. Mm. So there's a lot of, um, a lot of messaging in comedy. I don't mind messaging in comedy, yeah. but I kind of think there's a bit of a trend that the messaging is outweighing the importance of being funny. Yeah. Um, and uh, one of the things I try to do is to reverse that. I'm, I'm, I'm very keen on having messages in my comedy, mm. but I quite often subvert the messages yeah. to get the joke, to get the, the laugh. Mm. Uh, particularly when I both this, all three shows that I've ended all have an ending that is in no way profound whatsoever. Mm. But it's just almost undermines everything I've said throughout the whole show just yeah. for the sake of getting a laugh. Mm. Um, and I'm saying that looking at a post of Hannah Gansby <laughs> with a Nanette show. Now, Nanette was a show I did see on Netflix, which I, I really liked for what it was, but I, I'm not sure I consider it comedy. No. I thought it was a powerful show, but uh, it wasn't. For me, the comedy was very much secondary to the purpose of the show, and there's quite a lot mm. there. And in that, the, 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 the Nanette case, it was a good show. Yeah. I think I've seen others where I've been less convinced uh, about that. For me, um, I have an issue because I go and watch a lot of like Just a Tonic and a lot of just go to comedy clubs on the weekends just to watch the people who are above me and what they do. Mm. The camera can't capture that feeling of being in the audience. I can't. Um, I mean, comedy clubs don't tend to be shown on television, no. so you don't. It's a very different vibe being yeah. in somewhere like Just a Tonic or the Glee Club or the Comedy Store. Yeah. And actually, there's, there's three different. There's a difference between that. There's a difference between watching a show either live on Netflix, and I think that's a bigger difference. It's yeah. the kind of environment you're in, even if you're watching on telly rather than live. Big difference between a show on one hand and a big commercial comedy club on the other. And then in between, there are the smaller professional comedy clubs that sort of run once a month, mm. um, who you tend to have, I tend to have to slightly change my approach to those things. When you do a big club like the Glee Club, you kind of don't want to go all out on big stories. Whereas no. when I do a more rural comedy club or a monthly thing, we have of which are quite a lot in Kent and other counties, you, they tend to be more accepting of storytelling type comedian, which mm. uh, or comedy, which I think big London clubs are not massively keen on. They want gag, 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 gag. Like every so, twenty, every twenty or yeah, so seconds. Which, yeah, and I try and I do try to do both, but I must admit I do more of the gag, gag, gag when I'm somewhere like the uh, stand up club or the Glee club, and then I will. Trotter. I've got one story in particular about my family that goes mm. on for one. There's quite a lot of jokes in it, but it is mostly a story about my family, and that tends to go better in some areas than it does in others. Mm. So, what audiences do you think react better to you? Because I've seen you quite a bit, and but I've only seen you in the London the London context. Yeah. Which audiences do you think react better to you? Um, I think my niche audience are are desperate. Liberals desperate for entertainment <laughs> in Brexit towns. Yeah. That's probably mine. My best gigs have been in places like, well, quite a lot of places in Kent, which shouldn't really be because, you know, me and Kent, we're not political bedfellows. <laughs> uh, me and Swindon, you know, we were on the opposite ends of the Brexit debate, but there are enough people in those areas that uh, go to comedy. And I think comedy is, uh, comedy has a tendency to be a liberal left wing. Fair, mm. like audiences go if you any if you go to any comedy club where people have had to pay to get in and you've asked them how they voted in Brexit, uh, the EU referendum, which I do quite a lot as part of my act, almost always 
almost completely all Remainers. I think I've had one instance where I've had an audience that were mostly Brexiteers, which went fine, the show, by the way. Yeah. Um, but it is what you get. So my audiences, I think my best audiences have always been in in towns where my politics aren't aligned with the town in general, mm. but there's enough people in that town to want to come to something like me, and those go really well. Mm. The shows I do worst in are the same audiences in towns that aren't remain based so for example i was struggling i always struggle with my show in brighton brighton mm. fringe i never do terribly well in brighton fringe i've, I've had gigs in brighton fringe i've gone well but yeah. my own show has never gone down i don't know what it is there's a degree of jadedness yeah <laughs> um that i'm finding it difficult to get right I, I think i probably need to sort of work on the material i do uh, for that kind of audience so yeah Liberals in non-liberal areas. Liberals in non-liberal areas. Yeah, that's, that's, my, that's my niche. That, yeah, I, I can kind of, yeah, I can, def- I can definitely see that. Yeah. Um, but those, yeah, but I, I kind of think for me, because yeah. I'm going a lot less time than you have, um, I find that the best gigs are the ones in those little bit, are the little, in, in the, like the once a month ones in the little bit in like the village hall or something like that, because they're more, appre- they are very appreciative. Because it's just not, they're not bombarded with comedy yeah. like we are We're in London. In fact, in the Soho Theatre where we're recording this. Um, yeah. Uh, um, yeah, I mean, I do get some great gigs in uh, big, um, my other place where I tend to do well is, is in particularly big venues, even though mm. I usually, I don't usually get paid for those gigs. I'm mm. the open spot on those gigs. But I do quite well on those. There's one, the Bearcat Comedy Club in Twickenham. Yeah. So I did that one a couple of weeks ago. And the first time I'd ever done that, having tried for years to get in, finally got in through a contact and did that. And that's probably one of the best reactions I've ever had up to the point, because I was only doing about seven or eight minutes, where they were actually sorry I was leaving the stage and I had to go at the end of it. So that was kind of, um, I, I think, Big clubs tend to work well but if yeah. you know what you're doing with, in terms of the material. There are certain mm. things I probably wouldn't do in somewhere like the Beer Cat or the Glee Club. Mm. Um, but yeah, you're right. Otherwise, I think in rural areas that have a comedy club once a month where they don't see that much comedy, it is much easier to get. I, I, th- I think personally for me, it's much easier to get a reaction. Mm. Not 100% of the time. I've had a few gigs yeah. that someone just doesn't, hasn't worked as well. Uh, but yeah, it's a tendency. I think that's probably true. That, that's but that, that that's just comedy. That's just comedy in general, isn't it? Because it's just so, it's such a place. It's an art form that most people like, but at the same time, there's so many different variations of it. That it's, it is yeah. so polarizing. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it's. I don't know if it's polar. Yeah, I suppose it is polarizing to an extent. I think. I don't know if it's one extreme to the other. Mm. It's just not the reaction isn't quite as good as it was in mm. some other places so i'd say it's degrees rather than absolute polar yeah. extremes um that's what i was looking yeah. for <laughs> but yeah so there are di- well and there's different variations of comedy so some people like mcintyre other people like james a castor so and on a bit the bills that we tend to often be on there's often a, there's often a, often a real mix so yeah. someone will get not that they're not funny they just won't get as good. I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I must be from the I'm sorry. I did a gig in Wanstead last week uh, with the headline was Danny, Danny Postel, mm-hmm. who's a, an impressionist, a good impressionist. 
Um, they, this is probably one of my, I mean, my own view was, the, I, I did all right in that gig. In fact, I was quite yeah. pleased with it, given that was probably one of the, wasn't really my audience. Yeah. But the gig went okay for me, but he did really well. And that's kind of, I know what you mean. I think I admire people, I admire Danny. Mm. I, I admire people like uh, Michael McIntyre, even though I'm not a huge fan of his, but I admire what he does. I think what he does, he does very well. Yeah. And I contrast him to, um, oh, what's her name now? Uh, Miranda, Miranda Hart. Miranda, yeah. Now, um, I actually like her stand I like, I don't like her stand up, but this point I'm about to make, I don't <laughs> like her stand up, even though she's in the same category as Michael McIntyre. I don't like her stand up, I don't think it's skilled enough. Mm. I think her uh, uh, sitcom writing, on the other hand, even though it is what it is, I feel about her sitcom writing the way, the same way I do about Michael McIntyre stand up. I think it's very skilled. It's not quite what I'm after, but I get why it's good. So, uh, yeah. You so can, you, can, you can appreciate why other people like it. You can. I think you can appreciate there's a difference between not liking something because you don't think they're good enough and not liking something because it's not what you're up to, but you can appreciate the skill. And, I'm, you know, people, well, anybody who cares about me will probably find that the same way. Some people like what I do or some mm. people don't like what I do except what I do. Some people probably think I'm awful. And, you know, you get that with, you get that with anything. Really. That's right. So, so how did you go from being in the comedy society well how long did it take for you to go from being in the comedy society to actually doing the circuit um i did right so uh so i've been going since essentially since 2013 so i guess i spent the first six months in the comedy society at the end of that i left university i did open mics slowly to begin with like quite slowly probably about once a month I really? that for a while then moved up to once a week i think by the time i decided to take another showcase up to Edinburgh in 2015. I was gigging about once a week. I think after that point, I decided it's not enough. Mm. Uh, I mean, I enjoyed my 2015 gig. I, I uh, Edinburgh, I had a good Edinburgh. I got to the semi-finals. So I was you think you're funny on the basis of that. Um, and I decided that, well, I'm going to take this a little bit more seriously. So I'm going to do twice a week. I have a job. I'm quite old. So I'm never going to do four or five gigs a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, so I've been gigging aiming to gig twice a week and yeah. pretty well getting you know, hitting that. So on the basis of that, I think I had my first paid gig uh, about a year ago, I'd say, so in 2019. So it's taken me from 2013 to 2019, but not gigging at the same intensity that yeah. I think some other people are doing to get a paid gig. And probably been doing open spots in professional clubs for about a year before yeah. that. Uh, I'm at about 500 gigs now. I am consider myself to be a semi-professional comedian, so I'd say probably it took me up to 400 gigs to start getting paid work. Really? And then 500 gigs. I, I know some people do it more quickly. Yeah. I think I think if people who go into it with an intensity will probably get to open spots after about 200, 250 gigs, we'll start getting paid work after about three, 400 gigs. Yeah. Um, some will do it more quickly. Some will do it more slowly. Because <laughs> I'm like, I'm in the 250 zone right now. And I've only ju- and I've just started to start gigging for Murph Control, so it's yeah. like open spots on semi on semi professional gigs. Yeah, I was about the same. I think I started with I did my first Murph Control gig a bit earlier than that, but ah. God, that was the worst gig I ever had really? in the world. I didn't do any Murph Control gigs for about six months. <laughs> but since then, I've had nice gigs and paid gigs for Murph Control. Yeah. So I think you have to go through that kind of. Uh, yeah, Luton. Avoid Luton. Avoid don't, Luton. Ever do, don't ever do Luton. <laughs> that is, I, I, I do a routine about Luton. Uh, it's about 
conspiracy theories mm. and how and that, that people believe made up conspiracy theories. I'll make up one about Luton Airport being made up, being a made, not being a made up airport, it's existing, <laughs> but it's its only purpose is to provide the people of Luton for a job so they don't leave Luton. Yeah, <laughs> that's kind of that's what I think of Luton anyway. So. <laughs> So that was part one of my conversation with Harun Rashad. If you like what you heard, click up and listen to part two.